thank you. We praise you for this beautiful morning that you've given us in Rock Hill. For this time that we have to be together, uh, such as brethren are, in the unity and love of each other. And we praise you for that. We thank you, God, for your grace and mercy. But we pray especially for your wisdom. And we seek that wisdom today as we continue in our study of Revelation. And ask if you would uh, just open our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit that truly we can learn today, that we can grow today in your word. That maybe there'll be just a thought that we have not had before that may make some sense, that we might be able to develop and gain confidence in reading this rather difficult book. So guide us to that end, we ask you this morning. Be with us. Uh, We do pray for all those who have been mentioned today, but we know also there's a lot of folks that are in our hearts that were not mentioned. And we know also there are more than that, and you know them all, so we just ask if you would be with them in whatever way that they might need. Guide us now, we ask you. And help us to understand your word more fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 13 this morning. And here is where John writes to us. And I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Brett, record. It is. It is? Oh, this is, okay. I thought that was mine. This is mine. Never mind. (laughs) Maybe we ought to just start all over again. Okay. Hi, folks. How's everybody doing? Good. Thank you. (laughs) Fuzzy word, Revelation 14. Okay. That is right right before 15. Yes. Thank you, smart Alec. There's two in every crowd, isn't there, huh? All right, we're going to continue our journey through the, the revelation of Jesus this morning. We've been seeing a lot of things that have made sense to us. 
things that we kind of get our, can get our hands on, so to speak. And then again, there have been other things that have perhaps been a little bit harder to get a good grasp on. But you see, I believe that's the exact point of this book. As we've said before, so much of the revelation is going to be things that I'm not sure we're totally supposed to be able to grasp. However, I hope, I really do hope that you found this study as interesting as I have. It's been interesting and in, in, in to kind of be able to break it all down a little bit differently. I've done Bible studies with, with the book of Revelation several times. But preparing sermons, it's, it's a totally different way. It's a totally different um, aspect of looking at this particular book. It, you, it, it, you approach it entirely different than you do a Bible study or the way a Bible study might be. But it's, it's, it, to me it's been interesting just to, to try to break it down, take it step by step, and at least get a better handle on, on things as, as we can. But it's almost like asking you, what's heaven like? You ever thought about that one? What is heaven like? There's so much of the entire book here that will be out of our reach in terms of understanding. And yet, I hope you can say that you know more about this book than when we first started the series. This has been our goal all along, the session and myself as we've been preaching, to not be afraid to look at what is part of the Scriptures, the Word of God. As usual, we want to kind of break everything down first before we try to determine what's actually taking place in our particular passage, at least to the best of our ability. First, we're going to look at the term another angel. This, this, is, this term is in this particular passage several times. Between that and what we see not only this week, but what we'll see next week, there are six another angels here. <clears throat> For centuries, we've, we've seen and we've known that man has preached the gospel. God has ordained certain men to preach and teach. We do it today. But in this passage, we see an angel is going to be preaching the gospel. You'd think this, maybe this particular angel might be, have, get quite an audience as well. <clears throat> the, the angel was flying in midair and preaching. You can't tell me that anybody on the face of this earth could overlook that event. Okay. Now, if we stop right there a minute, and I think we've, we've asked this question many times over in the Revelation journey that we've had so far. There have been messages of impending doom and disaster awaiting those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. So many things have occurred that even the worst of, of doubters would have to question whether their beliefs with what they don't believe, perhaps, maybe, if they do not believe in Christ, if they do not believe in the end of times, but there's so many things that have been taking place, they've got to start asking themselves, am I really right in what I'm thinking here? They have to wonder if what they're believing is actual truth or not. And we know that God has been ultra-patient and allowing any and all who would come to him to be able to do just that before it was too late. But listen to this angel we see in verse 6. 
<clears throat> with loud voice, the angel is preaching an everlasting gospel to fear God, give glory to God for the hour of his judgment has come. He's saying, come and worship now before it's too late. Turn to him now before it's too late. But stop right there for just a second. In saying those two statements, honestly, is that not what we should be teaching and preaching week in and week out? Should it be any different then than it should be now? I don't think so. You'd have to figure that by now the world or what was left of the world was hanging on by a thread. Satan's henchmen would be going out of their minds with this angel's appearance. But if you think about it, with time running short here on earth, men still preaching the gospel in various places on earth and under the pressure that they were under at that particular time to A, keep alive and B, keep their families alive and still be able to preach, they might not be as effective as one angel in midair preaching to the entire world at one time. I don't know. I think the preacher or the angel would outdo me, that's for sure. <clears throat> this warning, though, maybe we could call it a pointed invitation to come and worship, reminds me of Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It's a quick reminder of, of what the gist of this is. And it's, it's here where Paul writes to us. That is when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Maybe that time is just around the corner. Maybe that time is right then. Now, the question that could be asked here is, is this everlasting gospel as it's stated here in our study or in our reading, is that different from the gospel that we know today? The only difference may be that the everlasting gospel that's being preached is being preached with an impending doom immediately behind the message. There's no time to pause and reflect anymore or think twice about it. Now is the time to make that decision. And yet, again, I ask you, isn't that the way that we should preach it today? But I also ask you the question, is it preached like that today? With that impending disaster just waiting. Paul preached it in, in everything that he did. Every letter that he wrote. I'm getting off here, but I don't care. This, this is, he, he preached with, with an edge about him, okay? He spoke, he wrote with an edge about him. He cared so much about the people, wherever they were. And yet he had that, that, that topic in his mind as he's writing. Repent now, confess and repent now and turn to Jesus before it's too late. For you. We were told in our Proverbs study a, a year or so ago that fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. Maybe the angel is saying, wise enough right now, while you still can. This is God's final call to salvation to the world. 
Now, this call was to, as, as we've seen before in Revelation and in Matthew 24, 14, was to every nation, tongue, tribe, and people. And while we know that preaching the gospel at any time was and is vital to a lost and dying world, there seems to be a bit more desperation in the language this time. But then comes another angel. This angel saying that Babylon has fallen. Why? Because that great city had forced, has forced those who were left on earth to drink the wine of her fornication, or, or as it says in the English standard, her sexual immorality. We're given kind of a preview to Babylon right here in Revelation 17 and in 18. <clears throat> we'll get to know that city quite well before all said and done. Essentially what the angel is saying here, though, is that people who are still left on earth, if they needed any more organization against God here, they're being led down a path of further destruction. And they're falling for every bit of it. We know the two beasts have done a number on the people to the point of even having, even having a temple to worship the image of the one who was supposedly mortally wounded. Of course, we know that wasn't true. But there's more. We can ask right here, is Babylon a real city? Will there be a city by that name at some point in the future? Well, some people say, yeah, there will be. But here's a very quick history of Babylon as we know it today. It was initiated at the time of the Tower of Babel. And his faded and its faded construction. <clears throat> Historically, Babylon was connected to the rebellion against God. At one time, I think we all know the gardens of Babylon were considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. It's in ruins today, though. Interesting fact: Saddam Hussein. If you're old enough to remember who that uh, who that guy was attempted to build monuments and palaces to himself on top of the ruins, but had no success. There's been so much in terms of structure attempted to be built on top of these ruins, all to no avail. Here's another interesting fact. Approximately 2% of the area, which was massive in and of itself, that could be considered Babylon, has ever been excavated. There's been little to no success by the Iraqi government to attract tourism there. It's a dead area, period. And it'll continue to be dead. Now, I've stolen kind of some of the thunder of Revelation 17, I guess, but there's still plenty more to hear about, okay? Back to our reading today in verse 8. Is Revelation 14, 8 specifically talking about a real, live City, I guess it depends on who you talk to. J. Vernon McGee and others tend to think that it will be another city built somewhere other than where Babylon once proudly stood. <clears throat> I get the feeling nothing was going to happen there anymore anyway. Potentially, Babylon may refer to a city. It could refer to a, a worldwide belief system. could even be a global political system 
or an economic system. Remember a few chapters back and the mark all must have to to do any kind of business at all. We'll see more about that shortly though. This is all part and parcel of the wine of her fornication, of her sexual immorality as we read. However, as in one commentary I read said, and this can make a great deal of sense, at least it did to me, The characteristics of ancient evil Babylon may be directing the rationale behind whatever system it might be. In other words, the dragon and his two beasts may implement a system of beliefs or regulations patterned after beliefs or from the Babylonian Empire era. Or maybe not. Yet we do know that whatever this implementation of Babylon is going to be, it will be evil. That's a guarantee. And part of the evil may come in the form of a type of fornication. That's going to, I'm going to try to keep this as PG rated as I can. Since we don't have kids here today, well, we do have a lot of kids up here at least anyway. So we'll keep it simple. We'll keep it PG, all right? It will be an affair of the heart and the body with earthly religions and or systems, whatever that might look like. Or religions even originated from the beasts and the dragon. It'll be a spiritual fornication that is so totally against God. <clears throat> However, lest we forget, remember what the second angel is voicing. Babylon is down for the count. Before the destruction Of the rest of the world, it will be eradicated. Maybe it's a destruction that we've talked about centuries before. It's already happened. We don't know, but it's a possibility. Whenever it occurs, it is not coming because of a rebellion by Satan. It is coming because Jesus is clearing out the evil in this world. Maybe there's one more person to be saved in all of that rubble. I suppose we could hope for something like that, couldn't we? But then there's another angel. Here's where we get to those who do have the mark on them. Subscribers to the evil promoted by the second beast through the dragon, through Satan. The ultimate warning here, in my opinion. I don't know why I had to start sounding like Kermit as soon as I got up here. Forgive me for that. The angel says that if you worship the beast and his image and you've received the mark on your forehead or on your hand, they are going to drink of God's wrath. And it's going to be full strength. There's not going to be any diluted version here at all. Now what will that look like? He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and of Jesus, of all people. There'll be no rest ever, period. How much more specific does it have to be? How much more specific can it be? Bow to the whims and wishes of the beast and you will suffer the consequences. It's as simple as that. 
You'll receive the cup of wrath from God and you will be sent into a fiery hell full of fire and brimstone. Now I'm beginning to sound bad, Bistana. Just saying. Taking this mark will not be done by accident. It will be as willing a circumstance as is possible the way I read this. The acceptance of the mark is beyond my scope of understanding as a lot of this book of Revelation is. But take note of one thing. While this place of torment will be reserved for the unbelieving and the wicked, Revelation 20 verse 10 tells us that the dragon and the beasts will be right there with them, side by side. They will not escape this place of torment. Now, while it could be viewed as, as having to take the mark out of, out of self-defense, let's say, or out of a need to feed one's family for the sake of argument, I get the distinct impression here it will not be looked upon that way. It will be a willing choice to be a part of all of that. And once it's done, it certainly sounds to me as if that decision is final. There will be no turning back. I read one commentator's thoughts I found somewhat unique to me. That the mark of the beast is not just a number. It represents a religion. It represents a life philosophy. Maybe. I don't know. Now the cup of wrath that's mentioned in this verse 10. We see in several other places in the scriptures. 13 times as a matter of fact. You look at Jeremiah 25, 15. It's there. It's mentioned as well as in Psalm 75, verse 8. Even Jesus describes it in Matthew 26, 39. It is not connected with anything pleasant, though. You can bet on that. It pours forth from it God's indignation. It will be a passionate anger. Whereas before, this book, it usually pertains to, to sin and its effects on God's creation. It is this time that the true passionate anger of God towards the sinner becomes a reality. It comes into full view. And sadly, Jesus will be witness to all of this. Not in the sense of Him being in hell. It has more to do with His holy justice and His wrath against sin. And we know that one part of the definition of hell is a total separation from God, which will be taking place as well. This will not only amplify sin's effects because each soul is going to understand this could easily have been prevented. They didn't have to do this. They didn't have to go down this road. They didn't have to make those decisions. And unfortunately, that's part of the hell that they will reside in forever with no respite from it. As the worship of of the beast will be interrupted for a time on this earth, hell's torment will be uninterrupted for all time. And understand that this is not a place that God will send the unbeliever. How many times have we heard that? That God sends people to hell. That is not true. It's a place that unbelievers choose 
for themselves. He has given us all the tools that we need in which to avoid hell. Will we take those tools? Will we take those tools and utilize them? That's the question. Now, I read a couple of more thoughts concerning this horrible ending to all that are left upon this earth. <clears throat> the question came to my mind, will anyone who is still salvageable, anyone of the elect of God that has not already been taken to heaven, will there be anyone left of that group when this time comes? Some will say that they were gone a long time ago. And yet we're told that there will be a tribulation period. We know and we understand that thinking, do we not? But as I've said here on numerous occasions, I just can't help but believe because of some of the ways that has been talked about in the Revelation, there will be some still here teaching and preaching to any and all who may have been left. However, and this is totally my opinion here, I'd have to think that maybe by now, with the promise of eternal torment to all who had the mark of the beast, those who had been, were going to be called home, they already were gone. Only the condemned were still going to be left on earth at this point. My idea, my opinion, again. And again, maybe it's not right, I don't know. Remember what Matthew 24, 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The answer to this may be in Revelation 14, 13 in our reading this morning. Here's where the patience of the saints pays off. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. That they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. I've been saying all along, I did not think everyone who was going to be saved would be removed from earth at, at what many people call the rapture. And it's verses like this that make me think perhaps pocketfuls or maybe ones and twos or maybe even ones has avoided the mark, has avoided worshiping the beast in the image and all the other death sentences that have been proclaimed on all who would fall prey to them. They are the ones, or it is the one, who has waited patiently, banking on the Lord's promises to protect his own. The rest, well, they'll receive rest from their labors. As we said all along, I cannot imagine what all of this is going to look like when it's unleashed. Are we close? Are we close to that time? Well, as I've said before, we're closer now than we were when we first started worship this morning. Every moment, we get closer to that time, don't we? Many may say here there's no such, uh, there's so much speculation concerning this book, maybe even this specific passage of Scripture. But again, don't we speculate on what heaven's going to be like? Certainly we do. But it's all designed, I think, to give us two things. First is hope and eternal life. 
Hope and grace knowing that we are not worthy of any of this but death if the truth be made known. But it should also give us a desire. This desire desire is to live for Jesus every day of our lives so that we might live with Him one day eternally. But it should go beyond that. This desire should be to want to see everyone saved and not have to go through what we have talked about today and what we will talk about subsequently through the rest of this book. That's the unimaginable torture of eternal condemnation apart from God. Hell. Remember our old disclaimer, we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we know that He is going to and we better be ready when He does. In my opinion, what that all looks like is honestly anybody's guess. Will everyone be martyred? No, I don't think so. I mean, look at how many have passed away from this life, from this earth, so far in its inception. I believe we suffer trials, yes. We at times, we may be mocked for our faith, yes. At times, Satan, and this is happening right now, Satan may pile upon us more than we think we can deal with. That's in terms of physical Mental, emotional, and spiritual trials and tribulations. Yes. We will be tempted beyond what we think we can deal with. Yes. But I don't think, I have to wonder at least, that it will be anywhere near what those who are here after the Antichrist and the beast and the mark and the image and all of that stuff, when that comes... And how much they will have to suffer. But don't you see, part of the reason that we are here today in this place, not only in this room, but in every sanctuary, in every church in the entire world, those who are teaching and preaching Jesus and Him crucified, and not some modern day, ear-tickling, feel-good, quote-unquote, gospel is to keep all of what we read about in Revelation from happening. Or from having to happen. If we look at it that way, I do believe, first and foremost, Satan is going to turn up that heat beyond anything we could ever imagine. But there would be an upturn in martyrdom, in trials and tribulations for all of God's people, I do believe. But think about it, and this, again, speculation on my part. But don't you believe that even more people would be saved if we got out and today and we did the job that we have been commissioned, we have been commanded to do through Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. The Great Commission. And maybe that's the point. Last time for today, I just can't say. But you know the one thing we can be assured of? We hear it in the Great Commission, no matter what the future holds, how soon or how late all of this we see in the Revelation takes place, no matter how desperate the situation for us, for the world, may become 
Know this. We as God's children will never be alone. Even if we were the first or the last or one of the last left on earth who hadn't caved in to Satan. God will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. John's written it in other places other than in the Revelation. Time and time again. God will be watching over each of us. Our home is secure in him. Right now, I just wish I could say that for everyone in the world. But I can't. And so, our work has to continue. My question as we close today to you is this. Has our work started? Has your work started telling the world about Jesus? Just what you know, nothing more. You don't have to have had a seminary degree to go out and talk about what you know better than anyone else. And that's what Jesus has done for you. But don't you see in this very difficult book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, a book we're not going to understand, maybe most of the stuff that's in this book, but we ought to be getting one thing right. We know how this world's going to end, don't we? Do you care enough to want to get that message of God's love, grace, mercy, and justice out to a lost and dying world? No matter how all of this pans out, we know, we believe, the end of days will come. But how will the end of days end for you, for your family? For your neighbors. For the guy in line at the grocery store ahead of you. You can make the difference. Share the good news of the gospel today. Because you see, there may not be another day to get the job done. Let's pray. God, thank you. We pray, Lord. We hear these words week in and week out. And we know that we should go out and that we should go make a difference in even one person's life. I pray, Lord, as of this day, we get it going. We get it started. And we continue each and every day to share the good news of the gospel with others. But we also share the justice. So many people today believe that God is love and nothing more. But He is a God of justice as well. And that day will come for those who do not believe in His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, guide us. Strengthen us. Grant us that courage to just Say the first word to someone. Do you know Jesus? Do you know his love waiting for you? I do. And here's what he's done in my life. 
Would you bless us to that end? Would you continue to motivate us each and every day so that we might make a difference for you? Knowing no matter what, you're there with us forever and always. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.